So let's just begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, with your word open before us, we pray indeed, Lord, that we won't have our hearts and minds open to receive your word. We pray, O God, that you would build us up in our most holy faith through the preaching of your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in what I present to these people, Lord. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Carol singing tonight, singing praises to God. I enjoy singing. The thing is, as I said, that when I sing, most people don't enjoy my singing. But I do enjoy singing. I like listening to music, both classical and rock bands. I enjoy going to concerts. Something that I wanted to do and say there, one thing of course that here that you're taught as a, as a preacher is never ever to express your opinion. So I'm not going to express my opinion but just give you an observation and then you can form your own opinion. But you know something I've noticed today that in our Western societies is that people don't sing all that much anymore. They go to concerts and they listen to popular artists, but there's very, very little encouragement to join in and sing. The focus seems to be more self-centred. It seems to be more on the performance of the artist and the need for the people to be entertained. And of course you see and you listen to some of the modern music today. You see the music of attention-seeking rappers. How on earth do you sing along to that? Now, why is that? Well, let me explain it to you this way. In classical terms, one of the more interesting symphonies of Franz Joseph Haydn is the Symphony No. 45 that's known as the Farewell Symphony. I don't know if you've ever listened to it. It's quite interesting. But in its performance, the reasons for this musical piece is called the Farewell Symphony is that it begins with the entire orchestra on the platform, but then as the musical piece progresses, the various sections of the orchestra, when they finish their bit, they leave the platform. And as each musician finishes their part and they leave the platform, they blow out a lantern that symbolises their part is finished until ultimately you come to the end of the, of the symphony and there's only the conductor and the first violinist left. And you know, I just wonder if this isn't symbolic in many ways of what's happening today. When I think about it in spiritual terms, I think, and I think that the further that the world goes away from God and the, and the Lord's and, and the people's rejection of him, singing praises to him is disappearing as well. You'd agree? I think about the movies that we can see today. And quite frankly, I'm appalled when you see the amount of violence, the gratuitous violence that's associated with all of it. And you notice in such there that there needs to be more and more horror movies with some 
demonic, uh, the, 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 the graphics and such, you know, and such it might be technically, it might be great to, to look at if you're technically inclined, but you just wonder, and you see more and more and more of this. And it seems to be and such there that as people are rejecting further from God, this seems to be taking over more and more of what we see. And when I think about that, and I guess you'll all agree with me from there, is don't you thank the Lord that we can still see? Whatever the situation, we can still see. Because you see, it's a natural response from all of the Lord's people to want to sing. And it's been that way from the Old Testament and Old Testament times right through now to this Christian era. That's why we're singing praises tonight to God. Just thank the Lord that he's given us songwriters and musicians so that we can sing. And he's done this through the ages. And we can see this from many of the psalms. And as you know, and when you go through there, you look at all of the psalms that we have. They're there that require a certain amount of emotion that comes into our singing, but they're primarily the aim is to worship God. Psalm 64, 65, 67, 68, 69. And then further on to the psalm into the next section, there's 95, 96, 98, 100, 101. I think the Lord wants us to sing. I think he wants us to sing praises to him. And you find that the instructions in many of them begin with the first word saying, sing unto the Lord a new song, or similar. As I say, the, the purpose of these psalms is more than just to sing them to express our emotions or for joy or for sadness. You'll find that as you read your way through them that they are very carefully constructed. And they're used often as a guide or a template on how we are to approach and conduct ourselves in formal worship before the Lord. And that's why this Psalm 66 is so important for us to see and to understand it, because I believe that it's been provided for us for that very purpose. It provides us with a template in how we come before the Lord in worship. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn to me, and let's have a look at it. One of the things that I've done is I've structured it up in such a way that you can see it from there. Tony, can you put it up for me, please? And you see the way how it reads from there. In verses 1 to 4, it deals with coming into the presence of God as our creator. And then in verses 5 to 12 in the Old Testament for Israel, they're reminded that God is identified as their redeemer. Then in verses 13 to 15, the focus is upon them and their confession as a people. And then in 16 to 19, as a witness to his mercy. And then finally in, chapter, in verse 20, there is this affirmation of God's worship and who he is and our relationship with him. I think it's quite brilliant. Quite brilliant, the way how it's been done and set up and structured for us. So I want to have a look now a little bit more detail as we look at it there and such there in these first verses and such there and see how the way how this psalm begins. We can look at it and say, yeah, all of creation praises God. 
David writes in Psalm 19, doesn't he, that the heavens declare the glory of God and through all eternity and creation doesn't need to be reminded to worship God. The sad part about it is we're the only people who do. We're his image bearers. And then in the next part to it there from verses 5 to 12, and so it's, there, it's this Old Testament testimony to God as being their redeemer. And we see in these words of verses 5 to 12, that you look again at the assurance of who God is as their redeemer because he says to conclude, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. The faithfulness of God. Speaks, I suppose, in terms of going through hell and high water, but God has been faithful to them and brought them to them. It's a focus upon God's redemption. In essence, it's the Old Testament gospel. And we worship God as our Redeemer. Now, you know, last week, in my mailbox, I had a couple of these brochures that were delivered. I don't know whether you received them at all. Pretty interesting reading. And it speaks about a dying world. The United Nations Global Resolutions, a Universal Day and a Day to Remember, etc., etc. And then speaks about a cashless society. There is nothing in them to indicate as to exactly who has actually produced them. But by reading them, it would appear as though the main argument is and such there is that we, it's all been the Pope's fault about 2,000 years ago in changing our day of worship from Saturday to Sunday. And when I do read through them, the one thing that I do find that's missing in it from there, that there is absolutely no mention of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing mentioned about sin, salvation, and why we celebrate at Christmas. And I think that's just so sad. Because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross for our redemption and delivering our true home, if that's not integral to our worship, what's the point of being here? What's the point of it? What's the point of our singing? Unless we can know truly God has given us Jesus as our Redeemer. That's the joy of our hearts. And that's the whole point of what this psalm is all about. The focus on our redemption. Look down a little bit further then, into verses 13 to 15, and see what he's speaking about from there, because then you see now that the focus then becomes upon us. And he begins, and so it's there speaking about his confession before the Lord. And most of you would have known, of course, of John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. But he also wrote quite a number of other books as well, including one that was called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. 
And that book, he actually has used Psalm 66 and verse 16 as its theme. You see the words of what he writes, and he says from there, Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. To witness. Now, witness hasn't got to be a great theological argument. Nobody can argue with you against you for what God has done in changing your life. It's yours and your possession. Witness hasn't to be that great theological statement. And again, as we read in such the Apostle Paul and Peter, they both got it quite right in such when they declared that by God's mercy, Paul wrote, and he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And God has changed me to be what I am. And that's the best witness of all. And then Peter says that always be prepared to give a reason for the hope you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. How true they are. And then, of course, we have our witness. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And boy, don't we make it complicated. Now what I want to do is to look at verses 18 and 19 because there's something very special there in these verses and quite important for us to understand because it's an integral part of why we worship Jesus as our Saviour. If you take nothing else from this sermon this morning, it's what I want you to take home. I've said before, Christianity is a thinking man's religion. So you need to think your way through what you're saying in these verses. Look at verse 18. He says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now that's a sound and true statement, right? Because Isaiah 59 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or is he a dull that it cannot hear? But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So what you're seeing there in verse 18 is a true, sound statement. But then look at verse 19. Because then the writer then says, but truly God has listened and he has attended to the voice of my prayer. That's also a true statement. So therefore, is the conclusion then that he has no sin in his heart. That was why God saved him. Well, if you stop and you think about that, that can't be right, can it? Because we all know, as I said, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So 
So the whole point of this is that, you see, it's the cherishing of that sin. If our intention is to be truly honest before God, and even if we are sinful from there, if we are honest before God, he will answer our prayers. That's the whole point. The mercy of God. That God listens to sinful people who are honest in their prayers before him. We worship a merciful God. We worship a God who looks at us and says, yes, you are not perfect. But if you are honest before me, confess your sins, I will listen and answer your prayers. And that's exactly what the psalmist is saying. He doesn't put the focus upon himself to say, here am I, sinless before God. He puts the focus back on the Lord and the Lord's mercy. And so when we come and we worship the Lord, and again as we sing praises to God, praises for what he has done in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight in our carol singing, we sing praises to this great mercy of God in giving us Emmanuel, God with us, the God of mercy. So the point is to be honest to God and don't cherish this sin in our heart. If you look at verse 20, that's exactly what he says. Blessed be God, because he had not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. This is the God that we worship. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the way how you have presented your word to us, Lord, that we can take it and appropriate it into our own lives. We thank you for the great God that you are and of your mercy. Your mercy, Lord, is displayed to us through every aspect of the message that you give us in the Bible. Right through from Genesis 3, right the way through to Revelation. And we thank you and praise you, O God. And we leave this place today rejoicing, knowing that, Lord, that if we have no sin to cherish in our hearts, that you are the God who listens to our prayers. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.